We are back with another episode of the Hit the Mat podcast after a controversial weekend in the UFC. I mean, a strange card and in more ways than one. I mean, the main event coming out to a draw was really something, not at all what I thought was coming in that moment. Uh, obviously, you got the patty the batty situation where fighters are fired up. A lot of people who watch that fight are, are fired up. That's uh, that's probably the two biggest headlines of the card. How are you doing today? Yeah, no, I'm doing great. I, I completely agree with you. This card was, uh, I mean, as we were both saying on the last pod, this was one of the like biggest cards of the year, obviously, in terms of the skill that was on the card, but it just took a a weird turn at the end and kind of uh kind of left a bad taste in my mouth i don't know about you but you know uh, i'm excited to dive <clears throat> to dive into it on this pod i mean we, we really need to lay it all out there today that is for damn sure and another thing i mean bryce mitchell we'll get to him very soon darren till both those guys surprising performances in my opinion not what I expected out of either guy so that was another aspect of this is the card kind of started with two surprises back to back at least in my personal opinion and then the patty the batty obviously the main event all around just a strange card but let's dive into Bryce Mitchell versus Ilya Teporia because Teporia is a badass dude I mean this is a guy that has real potential to be atop that division and compete for a title. And I don't think it's crazy to say that he's all that far away from that. I mean, he really looked sharp in this fight. Yeah, I mean, striking, wrestling, whatever it is in the in the UFC fight game, you name it. Ilya Teporia, he he looked elite at all levels. I mean, this guy's 13-0 and 0 now. I, I agree with you, Brad. I mean, to say that he is probably... One, one, maybe, maybe two fights away from a title shot. I mean, that's not that's not completely off the mark here. I mean, when you look at Bryce Mitchell, he was he's one of the most hyped guys in the UFC overall right now. He, he's a fan favorite. <clears throat> he's a guy that if he could have won, he he could have also had you know maybe a title fight after his next fight. And I mean, he just completely fucking crushed him. That's the craziest part. I have so much respect for Bryce Mitchell. I think he is so good, such a beast that the way in which he disposed of him, it it took me back a little bit. I said this is this is a guy that has real potential to do things fairly quickly in this division just because of because of the way he won, not necessarily because he won. As for Bryce Mitchell, I don't really think there's that much shame in Losing to Teporia because of kind of what I'm saying here is he's going to be a guy that's going to be atop this division when it's all said and done. I don't think this loss will look as bad on the resume as it necessarily does right now. But for him, I think it's important for the UFC to have him fight another guy, you know, relatively close to this this talent level because I still think Bryce Mitchell's a guy that can also get himself into that conversation. I don't think that this should be like, all right, we need to take a step back and maybe you know, I don't know, take the talent level down a bit. I don't think that's one of these situations. I just think it was a really good performance by Taboria. Yeah, absolutely. I think you just saw two different levels here when you look at two young prospects. And Ilya Taboria is already in that elite range, whereas Bryce Mitchell, he's still kind of trying to find his home here. I mean, he rattled off a really couple of nice wins, but it, it just – 
it, it showed you that he's not necessarily elite yet. And it's not to say that he can't get there. I mean, like you were saying, I agree with you when you say you still have a ton of respect for Bryce Mitchell. I don't necessarily view him a ton differently than I did going into this fight because I did expect Ilya Taporia to win. But, I mean, in just the fashion that it happened was extremely impressive on Ilya Taporia's end. But like you said, we still need to throw the top of the top to Bryce Mitchell because he still needs to get these tests and he needs to overcome these mountains if he eventually wants to be a contender one day and even a champion. Now, one thing I I, I really didn't like from Bryce Mitchell was the day after the fight when he releases a video and he says that he had the flu the week before the fight, right? And how he probably shouldn't have even taken the fight. I don't know, man. I, I just... I, I view that as an excuse. I view that as all right. If if you if you actually did have the flu the fight but week before the fight, yeah, don't take it or say that. Say that in the media. I mean, people are gonna say, "Oh, it's already a built-in excuse," but like, say that. You know, don't don't say it after the fight. I mean, you just kind of. It just kind of looks like a D- TJ Dillashaw move going in there with a separated shoulder. I mean. If you were really that compromised from a sickness a week before the fight and you knew you were going to lose, then, like, why why take it, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I honestly question if he even did have the flu because I just – I don't know, man. It, it just seemed like such a poor excuse for me. Like, an, an excuse is the last thing that I would that I would think I would see from Bryce Mitchell. Yeah, there's nothing worse than the day after kind of – throwing exactly what you're saying an excuse in there it's it's never a good look uh it's never made me say oh well then you know you can't count that loss against the guy I've, I've never been in a position where the next day a guy has come out throwing an excuse out there that he never threw before the fight and mentioned at all and had that change my outlook on the fight I I'm with you I just don't think that's ever the right way to go about it I also, you know, we've seen this before countless times. It's just, I wouldn't peg Bryce Mitchell for a guy that would do that. You know, that's what's funny to me. I actually didn't see that. So you just kind of surprised me by saying that. But we've seen it with Paulo Costa, the wine excuse. Remember too much wine the night before. One of the most ridiculous excuses we've ever seen. Uh, and, and it happens. I just will never, I'll never take away from the fight. The minute that that door closes and you've agreed to be in there, you are telling us you're ready to fight. You're good to go. And you, you can't change that the day after it, it it's not, it, it's never a good look. Right. And I mean, if, if you look at any UFC fight, right. Any even boxing fight, I'm sure every single fighter that steps in the ring slash octagon, I mean, they're going in there with some sort of ailment. I mean, to train for a fight, you're also sparring, you're also fighting. There's no way anyone is completely 110% when they go in there. So, I mean, it it was just a bad excuse, man. I I really hated to see that from Bryce Mitchell because he was a guy I respected a lot. I still do respect a lot, but I just lost a little bit of it with that, which is it's kind of a shame. Hey, I totally get it. And I mean, like I'm saying, for me, Bryce Mitchell, I just want to see him continue to get the names that if he gets a win, it'll kind of propel him 
and his career forward because this is an exciting guy, a guy I think one day can get to a title fight. It's just going to be a matter of learn from this one and keep it moving. I mean, this is a guy that's 15-2. and two. It's not like he's in a spot where we've seen multiple losses in a row now and, and you're starting to get worried. That's just not where I'm at. I want to see him get another big fight, and I would tune in and be just as interested as I was last uh, Saturday night when we watched him. Moving on to Darren Till and Duplessis. Duplessis had a pretty impressive performance here. Darren Till had a confusing one. How did you feel? Yeah, I mean, uh, you nailed it right on the head right there. I thought thought Duplessis looked extremely sharp. I mean, in, in everything he did, he just looked sharp. In, in the striking, when he got to the ground, his ground and pound was just, it, it was just very sharp, very technically sound, where Darren Till, I don't know what it is about him, man, but he just looked sloppy out there. I mean, his striking looked kind of sloppy. His hands almost looked like, floppy out there. I noticed that like when he was fighting, I was like, why are his hands like they almost don't look like they're in like closed fists. It looks like they're open a little bit and like moving. It was the weirdest thing. And, and, and the reason I'm so surprised by why he looked sloppy was because he trained with Kamjat Chimiev. I mean, you would have figured like he was on a little bit of a slope there and he, he noticed that and he said, all right, I got to start training with one of the top elites of the sport. So he starts training with Kamjat Chimaev and I, I don't think he looked all that different in this fight from his last fight. I mean, it was just, like I said earlier, it was just sloppy. Yeah, and he's in a spot where he had to get a win, man. I mean, he was back against the wall, and to go in there and, and look sloppy was was confusing to me. That's really how I felt after the fight was I was confused by his performance. He did have a moment where he rocked Duplessis, but... It's a UFC fight. It's an MMA match. I mean, there's a lot of times that we see guys land big shots and they have that moment of, oh, wow, they could they could all of a sudden flip the script here. That wasn't the case for Till. He wasn't able to finish it off. And like you said, when they went to the ground, Duplessis was really always in control, landed a lot of big shots down there. Uh, Till wasn't really all that good at the takedown defense. I mean, he kept himself up at one point in the fight for a little while, but... It still wasn't textbook by any means. I don't know where the UFC goes with Darren Till from here. Yeah, and, and another thing with him, too, is I, I don't know if you noticed this as well, but he he almost looks like overweight in a way. I mean, he kind of looks like round on the edges. I don't like I, I watched a video the next day of Darren Till's best highlights. And early in his career, you could see he was very slim very cut he was very sharp in all of his actions and just compared to saturday it just looked so sloppy and like i was just saying his physique it didn't look like he was necessarily in fight shape i mean especially compared to duplessis this guy looked like he was carved out of stone i mean the guy was absolutely ripped and darren tillman i mean like you just said too it, it's just all confusing to me because Darren Till, at the beginning of his career, and his first couple fights, I mean, he was on a straight up, upward path, and then it's just come crashing down so fast. I mean, I don't know where they go from here. And, and, and you saw when he was leaving the ring, he told Bruce Buffer that he tore his ACL. Now, I haven't heard anything on that, but if that's true, that's another, let's tack on another nine, ten months that we're not going to see him. 
I don't know, man. I, I, I really don't know where you go with him in this division. Yeah, at this point, it seems like the name is the draw just because of that past success, that early success in his career. But at this point, it's not a guy that goes in there and you expect fireworks. It's just that's not where he's at at the moment. He's a real tough stretch. I mean, this is a lot of losses in his last five or six fights. I, that might be five of his last six. If not, it's four out of his last five, which is still very tough. It's a guy that is kind is kind of hitting the lows and continues to get lower. It's the career, like I'm saying here, it's hard to imagine a path back. I don't think he ever makes it back to that top-ish level that he was at uh, when he started. But I just don't know where he comes into play down the road. Yeah, I mean, it's so it actually was five out of his last six. And I mean, you look at you look at his record, he's 18-5-1. and one. Yep. So, I mean, six fights ago, this guy was undefeated. He fought in a championship fight. That was his first loss against Tyron Woodley at 18 in 2018. And then from there, he just hasn't been able to recover. It's like he, he made it to that championship fight lost by a submission in the second round and ever since then he hasn't been able to get back on his feet i mean his only win since 2018 is against kevin gaslam in 2019 and it was a split decision so i mean it wasn't even like a dominating performance that his one win in his last six fights were you know it it, it wasn't impressive at all so he's just kind of fell off the face of the earth and i don't I don't know if Darren Till even has a path at this point to really get back up to where he was. I agree. And as for Duplessis, it's interesting to kind of think about where he goes from here because it was an impressive performance. He seems like a guy that's got some momentum heading upward here. I wonder where the UFC decides to go next with him. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting because he's he's 18-0. He's won his first four fights in the UFC, past two come against Brad Tavares and Darren Till. So that's some pretty good competition for a guy that just got into the UFC. He's 28 years old. I mean, this is a guy we got to look out for. Um, it, it, his, the skill of his opponents is just going to – it's going to keep getting better and better until he's eventually the contender if he keeps winning. Yeah, he um, – one funny thing about this fight is I'm on ESPN right now, and it says it says Der- it said Duplessis won by a neck crank. <laughs> Whatever that means. What a name! What a name for the submission. He did call out Marvin Vittori, and I wonder is that the direction the UFC decides to go because he earned it in a way. Yeah, I, I think that would be a great fight because these guys almost mirror each other. I mean, when I was watching Duplessis in there. On Saturday, it actually reminded me a lot of Marvin Vittori, kind of that head down, you know, swinging those overhand right and lefts and getting on the ground and having a vicious grounded pound. It was very Marvin Vittori-esque, so it would definitely be extremely interesting to see them face off and with very similar styles to see who could hit the edge in that fight. For sure, and it kind of feels like Vittori's a little bit of a forgotten guy here. It's not like he's out of the mix by any means. I mean, he can rack up some wins and, and get right back in the picture fairly quickly. 
and he's always going to be a good fight. That's one thing that we've kind of learned about him from his his latest performances. I think it's a perfect match just because of the spot that Vittori's in as well. I mean, he needs an opponent, and he he needs to fight. Yeah, and I think I think when you look at Marvin Vittori, he's kind of in a spot where Leon Edwards was before he got the Usman rematch. You know, he needed to knock off a couple of the top guys to get back to that title shot. So that's kind of where Vittori is right now. He had that shot with Adesanya. Now he's kind of on the road to recovery. You know, he lost to Whitaker, but he just needs to rattle off some wins here. You know, he, he needs to beat guys like Duplessis and others to get back to that spot. So it, it would be an extremely interesting fight because all the pressure would be on Vittori. But at the same time, if Duplessis won, we're going to be talking about him in that contender type of status. Definitely. Now, moving on to Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Alex Morano. This was a pretty good fight. And then Ponzinibbio just landed a big shot, took advantage of it, and it ended quick. Yeah, it kind of it felt like one of those fights where it was just going to take one shot from someone. You, you kind of had that feeling. Um, I was actually excited because I just... I really wanted to watch Patty in the main event, so I was hoping, I was hoping for something big to happen in that fight. And hey, Ponzinibbio delivered. I mean, in that third round, he landed that huge right, and got to give props to him. It, it, I don't know if you listened to my segment on the last podcast, but for whatever reason, then Ponzinibbio is always in the main card of a main event, and he's always like the third fight down. I just, I, I don't necessarily understand it. Well, he does, he's had a long career. I mean, 30 and 6, this dude's been around. Maybe Dana White loves to watch him fight. I mean, that it could be as simple as that. Yeah. Now, to be fair to him, he was supposed to fight Robbie Lawler. So that makes a little more sense for this card as to why he was sandwiched in the middle. But right. obviously, Murano takes the fight on short notice. Ponzinibbio takes care of business. So it's really just a veteran took advantage of a guy who who took the fight on short notice. Yeah, and, and, but, like, it's like, even if we look at it, like, all right, he was fighting Robbie Waller, like, I'd probably put the Till Duplessis fight over that, and I'd probably put the Bryce Mitchell over in the Ilya Tapora fight over that as well. Like, I'd have Pons and Ibio probably opening up the card. Yeah, and, see... And, it's but, always so weird to me. But I also think the UFC has gotten to a point where they try to start the card on an interesting fight. Mm. Like, it's not necessarily... Go, it doesn't necessarily go in order anymore. Like, I feel like as of late, fairly recently within the last couple of years, they have tried to structure it in a way where that first fight is a bit more interesting. Just so that you start the fight off with some with, with a fight you're, you're kind of fired up for. Right, yeah, and... And like this, in the sandwich in the middle, it's kind of like, kind of gives the fans a break a little bit for that one fight, you know. Yep. And then they get prepared for the co-main in the main event. Yeah. So, no, I mean yeah, I, I like it. There too. I like it, and and uh, I think we've seen Sugar Sean uh, maybe twice uh, as the opener for the card uh, of a main card. Yeah. I believe if if I'm not mistaken, so it's probably just they found that it's the best way to structure it. But as for Ponzinibbio and Murano, I really don't have much. Like I said, it, to me, it was just a veteran executing in a moment where a guy had to take the fight on short notice. Let's get to Patty Pimlet versus Jared Gordon because there's so many different directions we can go. But 
I want you to give your take on the fight. I mean, I don't think Patty won this fight, man. I, I really don't. Um, I think the first round was a toss-up until the last 30 seconds when Jared Gordon got a takedown and then had a little bit of ground and pound there. So I think it clearly went to Jared Gordon. I think the second round, um, Patty won. I think he had more output. He did more damage in that second round. It wasn't necessarily extremely impressive, but anyone watching the fight would know that Patty the Batty won the second round. Now, the third round absolutely sucked, in my opinion. I don't think anyone should have won the round, but, you know, we kind of have to declare a winner, I guess. So... I would have gave it to Jared Gordon. I mean, he was just pretty much hugging him the whole time. He had a little bit of ground control. Um, no one really produced damage in that third round. But, I mean, if I was judging this fight, I'd honestly judge it a draw. I'd say it was 1-1, and then the final round was a draw. Um, but, I mean, for Patty to, Patty to get a unanimous decision was just extremely, extremely surprising. I mean, I thought... If anything, if anything for Patty the Batty to win, it would have been a split decision. But, I mean, in my eyes, Jared Gordon won this fight, man. I, I by no means thought it was impressive. Um, I thought I thought Patty the Batty, like I've said in the past, I think his defense is very lackadaisical. And I think he leaves his chin very high up in the air. You, you saw, um, you heard Joe Rogan say that so many times throughout the fight. Oh, Patty Abadi really has his uh, really has his chin up in these exchanges. You know, he's very vulnerable right now. I think that's going to come back to to burn him, man. I mean, if he keeps fighting like this, and Jared Gordon, he's not a guy that's very valued in a lot of fans' eyes in terms of you know being like elite. If he's going to face elite competition, he's going to get knocked out, and he's going to get knocked out quickly. So, honestly. Very disappointed in Patty the Batty. I, I can keep rambling on here, but I want to hear your take as well. I'm disappointed, and I thought he lost the fight. Yeah, for me, it was hard because, I mean, I'm the first person to say I'm a little biased here. I love Patty the Batty. Huge fan. I've watched a lot of the YouTube stuff. So when he talks about, hey, man, I'm I'm just a guy who, who makes better content than everyone else, he's absolutely right. I mean, I've watched it, and, and I enjoy it. But... He lost the fight, dude. I mean, it's it's and I hate saying that because in reality they gave him the win and he, he walked out with another win on his resume. But in that moment, I looked at the person who I was watching the fight with and I said, There's just no way. There's no way he just won that fight. And it's really been the common take from anyone I've talked to. I haven't had anyone that's tried to argue in favor of Patty. So I think that is very telling in terms of kind of how confusing of a decision it was. Now, it's not like Jared Gordon went in there and kicked his ass and, and, and it was like, wow, highway robbery. But I did think that he won the fight. I went heading into the decision I was a little bummed out because I was like, you know, that's that's Patty's first loss. That that kind of sucks. And the unanimous decision was mind-blowing. It's like, okay, so if you're going to tell me he won unanimous decision, like, where did he decisively win the fight? You know, it's where did he grab that much attention in the judge's eyes where they're like so convinced unanimously? I mean, a split decision 
still would have been like, all right, he didn't win, but you could at least see that one of the judges watched it and, and saw that Jared Gordon won the fight. In this scenario, for every single guy to watch it and score it the same way and, and unanimous, I thought that was mind-blowing. I think it sucks because now it kind of turns, and I'll get to it after, now it kind of turns Patty the Batty into a villain in a way. And I didn't yeah. think that was his persona heading into the fight, and he left it with more of that persona than he's ever had before. And it started, this is what I was going to say uh, right before that, it started kind of before the fight. I started to notice that there's a lot of people that don't like the attention Patty gets. They think it's unwarranted. And I can understand other fighters looking and saying like, you know, what has this guy done to get this attention? But to that same point, like I said, he's making better content than they are. So people know who Patty is. They're rooting for him. He partnered with Barstool. That's a whole empire in and of itself. So I don't like that Patty now leaves this fight as this big villain and I'm not sure if he's going to be able to shake it because he came out of the ring saying, you know, fight of the night. I got fight of the night. Dana, give me fight of the night. And it just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He was very decisive in saying that he won the fight, said it wasn't even close, which is asinine to me. It's a lack of self-awareness. But uh, I think Patty the Batty all of a sudden with the snap of a finger became one of the villains of the UFC. Yeah, it's it's. It was a very interesting week for Patty the Batty last week because it started off with all this media drama, right? This whole, he was trying to make Ariel Hawani pay to interview him. Hey, hey, let's let's pause here. Let's pause here. I want you to explain at least what you know of this because I don't know a lot about it in depth, but I was mind blown at how like upset both of them were at each other. Yeah, so basically... <clears throat> I forget the exact timeline of when it was, but I think it was when Patty first won or whatever, um, got his first win in the UFC, and he DM'd Ariel Hawani and said, hey, like, you want to have me on the show sort of thing. Like, he asked him, hey, can I come on the MMA hour? And Ariel Hawani was obviously like, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when, when can you sort of thing, right? So he started talking with his manager <clears throat> and then it came like the day of the interview and Patty was basically like, yeah, like I have other paid interviews that I have today. So like, what are you going to be paying me sort of thing? And Ariel Hawani's like, dude, I'm not paying you. Like, I don't, I don't pay to interview fighters. Like, it's just my job, you know, like sort of thing. And like, he like released that. Because <clears throat> earlier in the week, Patty the Batty was talking shit about Ariel Hawani. So he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking shit about me for? You tried to make me pay you to interview you sort of thing. So then they went in a huge back and forth. And that's kind of where this whole villain Patty the Batty thing happened. Because people did not like that at all. Because I, I didn't really like it either. It's definitely a weird and kind of bad look for patty the batty all right now that's pretty surprising because i did not know that i didn't know the extent of it i knew the both of them were upset i saw some some tweets and you know stuff suggesting that there was kind of a beef between the two of them but i didn't know that that is odd because i mean he's the one that asked i mean how are you going to come back that day and say all right so now what are you going to pay me i mean payments were never brought up i can see 
Ariel Hawani's side, 100%. I can't really see Patty the Batties in that situation. That's a little bit of a tough look because it seems like he had already committed. He had he was the one that wanted to go on and maybe expected a payment, which is never, you know, you, you can't just expect something. And like you said, it's Ariel Hawani's job, man. He's just trying to do a job. And, and I don't think any of the fighters that go on the MMA hour are getting paid. So why exactly would he change the rules for Patty the Batty there. That is awkward. I saw that uh, Patty did, he did a podcast with Dana White. I saw a few clips from that. And that's where really I, I got the first clue. Like, oh man, there seems to be something going on here. Because obviously Dana hates Ariel Hawani as well. That's kind of a well-known thing. Hawani's not afraid to put it out there and, and, and kind of express his frustrations with Dana White. But that's just to me, just an awkward situation. And I don't understand why Patty would, would continue and, and drag it out. It's just move on, man, and keep going. But yeah, that's that's plays into kind of what we're talking about here in terms of he's just become this villain and it's happened so quickly. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because there's there's definitely still a lot of supporters of Patty the Batty, right? Like and me. Including you, including you and I. Yeah. Like I, I still support him, you know? But now there's a lot of people that absolutely hate this guy. I mean, it started off with that during the week, right? And now people, some people think this was rigged. Some people think the UFC just gave him the decision to kind of push the Patty the Batty narrative, which, you know, who knows? But at the end of the day, it's it's very interesting because he's still going to be one of the most popular guys in the UFC. That's just how it's going to go. But I think it's going to be for good and bad reasons now because... There's going to be an army that's against him now and, the, and an army that's with him. So, I mean, it's going to be very, <clears throat> very interesting to see how these next couple of weeks go and who he's going to fight next and that sort of thing. Because, I mean, as a fighter, I definitely view him, like, not as good as I did going into this fight. I mean, we, we saw a lot of glaring holes in this fight. It was... uh very interesting to see. I mean, Patty definitely doesn't look as invincible as he did going into this fight, which is very interesting because it seemed like he was definitely on that Conor McGregor path where he was just going to destroy everybody and become the face of the UFC, or as Patty says, the new cash cow of the UFC. But we have a little kink in the road here, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how he responds to this. It is. It, it definitely is. I think that it can be good for him in a sense of he now becomes more polarizing than he's ever been. That's that's good, no matter which way you spin it. I mean, that gets the interest in. So now you're going to have people watching the fight on both sides, people that love Patty and people that hate Patty. One thing to me that w- was funny, number one, was Big Cat and Dave Portnoy sitting behind the cage in their Patty the Batty wigs, having a grand old time. And two was how much it seems to bug the fu- bug the fighters, including Justin Gaethje, who was all over Twitter. It seems to really bug guys that Patty has the endorsement from Barstool. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what the whole problem is with Barstool and the UFC. Like, you even see it with, uh, with the Nelk boys, too, and, like, the full send sort of thing, where some fighters are like, this this type of environment shouldn't be around like our sport or whatever, but it's like, 
I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get what the, the fighter's problem is with the UFC. I mean, yeah, Dave and Big Cat were chanting, you know, fight of the night, fight of the night after the fight. But like Big Cat said on Twitter, I mean, they were clearly joking and like obviously just happy that Patty won. Um, I don't know. It's pretty funny to me that the fighters are getting rattled over this. I don't, I don't necessarily understand it completely. Maybe if I got a better explanation or maybe if something happened in the past between Barstool and these fighters, but I don't know, man, it's very confusing to me. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about Dana White, uh, in terms of kind of his relation to Patty, like it, it kind of is a bad look that he does this podcast and it seems like, you know, he has a solid relationship with Patty and then this fight happens where it seems like it's clear that he lost. I mean, it wasn't by a wide margin, but he did lose the fight and all of a sudden it's a unanimous decision. You see Dana White smiling, shaking his head. Yes. Like he thought he won the fight, which was very surprising to me as well. And to boot, you have Dana White after the fight, talking about how Jared Gordon's game plan in the third round was bad. And, and that's ultimately why he, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he was basically suggesting that that's probably why he ended up losing the fight was because of his approach in that third round. And don't get me wrong. The third round sucked. I mean, Jared Gordon could have gone in there and made it a lot more decisive in terms of winning the fight than he did in round three, but to go to bat, as hard as he went for Patty and even go as far to kind of contradict the fighter that he fought, something definitely seems a little fishy. No, yeah, it definitely does. Because a couple months ago, we saw the Sugar Sean decision too, which was extremely controversial. Um, a lot of a lot of fans thought Jan won. So it, it definitely is pretty interesting. I mean, I think it was a lot more glaring in this fight. Like, I think there was a genuine argument that O'Malley won his fight against Jan. You and I both thought he won. So, you know, it, there was more of an argument there. But this one was kind of inexcusable, man. I mean, this one, I can definitely get with someone saying, hey, this is fishy. Something fishy might be going on here. You know, Dana might have told the refs to give him that decision. I don't know, man. It, it It's just all very confusing on how he even got this decision. I, I completely agree with you. His whole, his whole relationship with Dana and how close they are definitely makes this fishy. I mean, like you said, they did the podcast last week. He did Fuck It Friday instead of Dana White, which I've never seen on his Instagram. I don't know, man. I, I agree with you that it is a little bit fishy. Yeah, and, and another thing... I want to touch on the Sugar Sean thing was was a couple things. So number one, I think that there was it wasn't even close compared to Sugar Sean the competitiveness, like what he brought to that fight, and he had a clear aspect of the fight in which he dominated. I didn't think Patty had that, so that's one of the differences in terms of looking at the fight and, and saying like, I can't see where he won. I could see where Sugar Sean won his fight. I can't necessarily say Patty dominated any aspect of the fight that much to, to really make me see an argument for him winning the fight. And number two, Sugar Sean and Dana might be tight, but they're not 
publicly tight the way that Patty and Dana have been. I mean, it's really been in your face kind of, and, and maybe that's just the scheduling. Uh, it, it was much more um, convenient was the word I was looking for, for Patty and Dana to, to get together while he was in Vegas. Cause obviously Patty resides in England, but I don't know, man. I just think that you, it's to a different level with Patty here than it was with the Sugar Sean situation. Number one with the fight, and number two with the relationship with Dana White. Yeah, and, and another takeaway I gotta say too is, if anything is fishy about this fight, it's definitely on the UFC side, and it's not, it's not a whole sports gambling side, right? Because when whenever you hear a sport is rigged or something, you hear it because because of the sports betting, right? Patty Pimlet and Sean O'Malley were probably two of the most heavily bet fighters within the last year and they got controversial decisions i mean if vegas had anything to do with any of these decisions they would be going the other way a hundred percent i mean not even a question so i mean that that's another surprising thing to me too because i mean there was definitely loads and loads of money on patty pimlet and they still gave him the decision so if anything is fishy going on it's definitely with the UFC, and it has nothing to do with Vegas. So Jared Gordon on Twitter came out and said that he would love to fight Patty again and that he would be open to stepping in there in England with Patty. And usually I think that's something that we see fairly often was kind of those run-it-back type posts. But for this one, I said that would actually be a good idea. And the reason is because, number one, Everybody who loves Patty Pimlet knows who Jared Gordon is now. Number two, he didn't win the fight decisively in any way, shape, or form. If anything, pretty much everyone thinks he lost. So you step in there with the guy that everyone thinks you were gifted a decision against. And if you're able to beat him a second time, there's not really anything anyone can say. And number three, you can't tell me that the people in England wouldn't be absolutely jacked up to watch him get in there for a second time against a guy that everyone is saying their dude was gifted a decision against. This one makes sense, and I do think they should run this back for more reasons than one. Yeah, I think they absolutely should run it back because I think, like you said, a lot of people think Patty didn't win this fight, so obviously Jared Gordon earned that shot. He he earns a rematch with Patty. It's very undecisive. And in a a fight, for him to say he'd fight in England just shows it doesn't matter where I fight this guy. I know I'm better than him. And I know I'm going to beat him next time. I I love that response from Jared Gordon. And I agree with you. I mean, this this would be a huge fight. I think you could make it maybe a fight night main event so we can get five rounds maybe from both of these guys. Um... And I think the next round, I, ne- I think the next fight would have to end in a finish either way. I mean, there was times in this fight where I thought Jared Gordon could have finished Patty Batty. I mean, if he just, if he kept going forward, he kept throwing those overhand rights. Or no, it was the overhand left, my bad. He kept clocking him with the left hook whenever Patty came in. Because like I keep saying, his chin's too high. So, I mean, if we look at a rematch in this next fight, I think it would be very decisive either way. I think it would end before it could even go to a decision. Yeah, I agree with what you said about Jared Gordon, about some of those lefts. In terms of Patty Pimlet, there was one instance that I can recall 
that he did have Gordon Wobbly, and he did try and pounce on it, but it just didn't come to fruition. It would be good to see him get that decisive decision and kind of put all of this to rest. Let's let, let's put this behind us because this is going to linger. This People now think he is the golden boy, that he got a decision he didn't necessarily deserve. I think it could put a lot of this to rest if you were to run it back. Now, you've mentioned the defense a few times, and I got to say, dude, it's a concern for Patty. It, the fact that the combinations that are able – or the responses that are able to come and sometimes are even combinations because he just does not have his guard up and his chin is sitting right there in front of these guys' eyes. I agree with what you said at the beginning of the segment. He fights a big name. That is going to get exposed. Make no mistake about it. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about possibly him versus Terrence McKinney. I mean, I'll tell you right now, if he fights Terrence McKinney, that's not going to be a long fight. Scary one. He will get knocked out within probably two and a half minutes. I mean, his defense is very, very concerning. I mean, he has he has no worry about taking shots when he when he absolutely should. I agree. I agree. There's not really much more I have. Actually, one last thing. Did you see the video of Joe Rogan's reaction to his win? Oh, yeah. Ooh. He was like... Oh boy. I, I even before. saw an eye roll, if I'm not mistaken. And that to me is very telling. Oh, yeah. I mean, you never see that from Joe Rogan. Ever. Either. He's never animated about decisions or anything like that. So that was surprising to see that from him. It almost felt like it, it almost felt like he didn't want to believe himself, but he had a thought in the back of his head like, they might even still give this to Patty. And when he heard the name, he looked up like, are you kidding me? Is this really what we're doing? That was surprising to me, like you said, real telling. But let's move on to Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankalaev. Because this thing ending in a draw was a head-scratcher. Yeah, definitely a head-scratcher. I mean, who, who do you think won this fight? Ankalaev won this fight. You think so? I do. I actually personally think Jan Blachowicz. Wow. Okay. Now that's a take, and I want you to explain why. Now I think he, I think he did a lot more damage. I think round one was a toss up, but I gave it to Jan. I gave Jan, round two to Jan. I thought it was very decisive how he absolutely chopped down on Ankalaev's left. He was clearly diminished. And then I thought round three, Jan also won. I thought he just had more output and actually compromised his other leg his left leg. Um, and then I thought Uncle I have clearly won the last two rounds. Um, but I think maybe that's where the draw comes in. But, I mean, I, I just want to let the fans know, too, like, I picked Magomed Ankalaev, and he was honestly my most confident pick of the night. So for me to say that I think Jan won this fight, I, I truly mean it. Yeah, that's surprising. I, I, at the time, thought that Jan came out with a hot start. So I agree with you in terms of those first two. Maybe it's just we we have a difference of opinion on that third round. Because I did think Ankalaev woke up at one point and really started to take over in a decisive nature. And the numbers here, I mean, Magomed Ankalaev landed 191 total strikes. I mean, he threw 312, but 191 is a big number in terms of significant strikes. He outstruck him 78 to 55. He had the two takedowns. It was, to me, 
I can see why he is so upset with the result, especially because he was in line for that next title shot. It's really, you win this one, or I mean, that would have given him the title, so I shouldn't say that. Before the fight, he was in line for the title shot. That would have given him the belt, and he would have been able to have his title reign and begin his title reign. I don't think it's necessarily far away after this draw. I didn't like his reaction when Jan asked for a rematch. He was kind of joking, and Uncle Lyle was real serious and kind of just kind of shrugged it off. That was weird to me because this dude you were just in a draw with. Like It's not like it was an uncompetitive fight by any means. But yeah, I thought Uncle have won. I could see his frustrations because of the numbers. It's like, I just don't necessarily like how he's saying, oh, I might not fight for the promotion anymore. It seems like all of a sudden, when guys don't get the decision they want, we've seen some tantrums. Like, Peter Jan said the same thing. Yeah. And I mean, Uncle Ayev can be as mad as he wants, all he wants, but... The only person he should be mad at is himself. I mean, in those first two rounds, he was fighting so, so conservative. I mean, just not not pushing the envelope at all, backing up a lot. You didn't see a whole ton of output from him. And then, like you said, I, I love how you said he, it seemed like he woke up at one point because I think the urgency, you know, set in for him, and that's when he started fighting really well. But up until then, he was just so so conservative and just Jan Belovich was like all right you're gonna be conservative I'm just gonna absolutely destroy your legs and you're gonna be compromised the rest of this these this fight I mean I thought Ankalaev if he fought how he usually did and he was extremely aggressive and on the offensive end from the get-go I think he could have gotten an early finish I mean you could, you could see in this fight, it was two different levels of skill. I mean, Ankalaev was so much faster, throwing a lot more impressive shots, in my opinion. I thought Jan Blachowicz looked very stiff out there. Um, didn't look too athletic, in my opinion. Ankalaev, but I'll, I'll go back to the speed. I mean, the speed he was throwing his kicks and his hooks at were just extremely impressive. He looked like a champion, but he just didn't fight like one, in my opinion. I, I get what you're saying, and and it's true that he shouldn't be mad at anyone else besides himself because he had it in his control to go out there and make it a decisive win. He did not do that, and as much as he can feel as though he did, he didn't finish Jan Blachowicz. He let it go to a decision, and anytime a fighter lets it go to decision, you're playing with fire. It it could absolutely not go your way, and, and all of a sudden it feels like Recently, we, we've heard these guys come out and say, I don't know if I want to fight for the UFC anymore. And it's like, dude, it didn't go your way. I, I get the frustration, but it's not like you went out there and knocked the other guy out. That's what would have made it guaranteed you win. And, and that's not what these guys are doing that are complaining about it. But it's, it's a confusing situation, the whole draw. It's like where you don't have a champ. Obviously, that will be between Teixeira and uh, Jamal Hill, which, what an interesting way they went about that. Announcing that to Anthony Smith live on air. I mean, that's that's brutal. That's some brutal info to find out live on air. But yeah, it's, which one of these guys do you consider to be the number one contender for that Teixeira-Hill fight? That's my question. Is like, how do you make a decision between these two guys now that you have a draw? Because Blahowicz is a guy that's already had the belt. He's 
been atop that division. He, he deserves it just as much as anyone else. But Ankalaev had all the momentum and, and he's won a ton of fights in a row besides this draw. It's tough. I think you got to go with Ankalaev because you want to get that, you want to give him that opportunity to be the new guy in town. But it's like you just gave him that opportunity. He wasn't necessarily expecting it because this all happened so fast, making this into a light heavyweight title fight. But man, it's it's going to be a tough decision to see which direction they go after that to share a hill fight. Yeah, I mean, do we have to see a rematch of this fight? Because uh, I don't know. It's like uh, I thought Jan still looked pretty impressed. I mean, he definitely impressed me. No, he did. I thought I thought Ankalaev was going to go in there and absolutely crush him. He fought a hell of a fight. I mean, even if you look at both their faces after the fight, Ankalaev clearly looked like he took more damage in this fight. His legs were completely busted up. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. You, you might need to make a rematch of this fight to find out who that number one contender is. For real, it's true. And it didn't seem like Ankalaev was keen to the idea, but that really might be the only route to decisively say this should be the guy that fights for the title next. Now, in terms of the prelims, the one fight I want to touch on was Raul Rojas Jr., man. He's exciting, and he looked sharp. He had a plan. He went in there. It seemed like he executed it. This dude's going to be a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually really excited by his performance because I thought, oh, man, an 18-year-old on this big of the stage might get to him. He might not fight how he usually does. No, this kid went in there. He looked completely composed. He It looked like he loved the moment. Um, and he fought a great fight. I mean, this is going to be very, very exciting because if you just think about how young he is and how early in his career it is, I mean, this is a guy we're going to be watching for probably the next 10 years. So, I mean, we just we just saw the kickstart of it, maybe even more. Maybe, maybe yeah. in the next 20 years. So, I mean, this is going to be extremely exciting. I hope he can become a champion one day. I mean, that would just be so cool if we could see truly the whole evolution of a kid to a champion. Um, but yeah, I mean, just absolutely dominating. I mean, wasn't even close. I mean, dude, think about it. Like, like, like you said, I mean, he's starting so early that there are going to be so many ups and downs to this guy's career. I mean, we could see him winning a title. I mean, the first time he loses is going to be pretty shocking. We could see him go through some losses in a row and then have plenty of time in terms of age to turn it around and come back and potentially fight for the title. The fact that he starts so early makes his career so intriguing moving forward because there's so many things that could happen. In terms of Jay Perrin, dude, you got to always watch out for a guy who talks a big big game, especially when they're not even on the main card. I mean, he was talking a big game saying he was going to knock him out. Uh, you know, it was, he was um, expressive about it at the weigh-ins. That's the word I'll use. It seemed like Jay Perrin wanted everyone to know that he felt like he was going to knock Raul Rojas Jr. out. It's not the first guy we've seen do that, but I'm always wary when you see a guy that's very loud like that. And Raul Rojas took care of business. Yeah, and it was just so funny, too, like, right before the fight, I was like, wow, this is, like, a genuine, like, <clears throat> it's a genuine man fighting a kid. It's true. It, it just kicked the man's ass. Like, it was it was so funny to see, like, 
like for going like when they were introducing them and stuff, I'm like, this guy can't let a kid kick his ass, you know? Like this is a legit man. And then the kid just goes in there and chokes him out. I mean, it was awesome. You know, one thing that's really intriguing about Rojas is he's a bantamweight. So you think, I hope one day down the line, maybe he can fight Sugar Sean. Yeah, that would be fucking amazing, dude. If if he can really keep going on this trajectory and stay undefeated, maybe Sugar Sean wins the title. That's definitely a fight, you know, maybe in five years. Yeah, that's the thing. Exactly. <laughs> but you can bit. say that with Rojas because it's just... He, like I'm saying, he has so many years in front of him. Yeah, I mean, he, he looked extremely sharp out there, too. I mean, we haven't, we haven't necessarily seen a hole yet in his game. I'm sure we will and as, as the skill keeps getting better that he's going to fight. But, I mean, just extremely exciting and extremely impressive win for a kid. Yeah. And to the point that he's a kid, it's we need the bantamweight to have a little bit of new life injected into it. Now I know there's obviously the, the Henry Cejudo versus Aljamain Sterling, and then they're waiting it out to eventually fight Sugar Sean, but it's always good to have a new up and coming guy get injected to a division. Cause it's not like Rojas is going to fight any of the top dogs anytime soon. So he'll be able to fight the mid tier talent that we don't necessarily watch a lot, but we will because they're fighting Raul Rojas jr. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it's great for the sport overall too. And I think, I think the next step for Rojas is going to be finding out how he can market himself truly. Because I don't think he has the whole media thing figured out necessarily. Um, but you know, if he can learn from guys like O'Malley and uh, and McGregor and kind of market himself in that way, I think he can be one of those guys that propels himself to stu- superstardom and become a fan favorite. Definitely, because you can't be the kid forever. You know, you can't be the ultra young guy. I mean, we're not going to look at him as the, the dude who's eighteen when he's twenty five. I mean, that's just not how this works. Now, what that did just make me think of is, I wonder how many fights it takes for him to prove that he is worth some of the top dogs. Because you wonder. When is the earliest we could see this guy fight for a title? Like, is this going to be one of the youngest fighters to ever compete for a title? It's it's possible because of the age at which he's starting. Yeah, it's absolutely possible because, I mean, he just won in two minutes as well. So you got to figure, I mean, he took basically no damage. I don't, I don't think he took any damage, actually. So he'll probably fight within the next two months, I'd assume. Okay, that's another one if he dominates there fights in three months i don't know maybe within the next two years we could see it when he's 20 years old maybe even 19 i mean it depends if he can keep dominating at this level and this quickly it, we could see it you know sooner rather than later yeah and he's and he's fucking 18 i mean he's gonna be able to recover faster than these other fighters at this moment, because of the youth factor, he's going to be able to fight at a more rapid rate, I would think, than other guys, just because of the youth, because of the recovery. I'm I'm excited to see where his career goes from here, because he he's intriguing, and he showed us that he can really hang here in the UFC. He's not just a kid. Yeah, it was definitely the first stepping stone in his career. 
and I'm I'm very excited to see how how it unfolds. I was I was very excited for this fight, just based off of this kid being 18 years old, but he delivered, and it's gonna be it's gonna be great to see what's next. So moving on to next weekend, we got Sean Strickland versus Jared Cannonier, or is it Kanoyer? Which one are we gonna choose here? I think it's Kanoyer. Kanoyer. Yeah. All right, because the way it's spelled makes me think it's Cannonier, and I know who this is. I've watched him fight multiple times. I just can't remember how Anik said it when he was in the octagon. Yeah, I I forget as well. I. I think it's Kanoyer. One thing that surprises me. well could be Cannon Ye. Yeah, dude. I, it's because of the spelling that's making me think Cannon Ye. And I also am hearing Anik's voice in my head saying Cannon Ye more than I am Kanoyer. Now, maybe that's just nonsense. But one thing that's surprising to me about – I'm going to say Cannon Ye. I'm going to roll with it, all right? Yeah. One thing that's surprising to me about Cannon Ye is that he's 38. Yeah. He's old. I saw that too before this pod. I was looking into it a little bit. Thirty-eight years old. I mean, he's he's one of those guys that's absolutely chiseled as well. I mean, he does not look old by any means. He looks like one of the most fit guys in the whole UFC. So that's fucking impressive, man. I would I would have guessed he was in his early thirties. I would have guessed he was thirty-one, like Sean Strickland. Yeah, this is a guy that's gone up and down from divisions as well. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's competed in three different divisions. Yeah, he fought in heavyweight. Jeez. So he's just, he's gone from big to small. He's gone down. He started big and came down. He used to be fucking fat too. So that's even more impressive how chiseled he is now. I mean, big names that he's fought, though. This is a guy that has not shied away from any tough fight. I mean, some of the names on the record here, Glover Teixeira, you've got Dominic Reyes, Jan Blachowicz, Anderson Silva, Hermanson, who we were just talking about last week, I believe it was, Robert Whitaker, Gastelum, Brunson, Adesanya. Holy hell, this guy's got the resume, man. Yeah, I mean, he, he's fought everyone under the, under the sun, and... Uh... Sean Strickland's just up next for him, you know? He is. This is, this is a great fight. I mean, it's one that Sean Strickland absolutely needs to win because he's coming off getting knocked out um, from Alex or Alex Piera. Kenne just lost to uh, Adesanya. So, I mean, both these guys absolutely need a win. I think Kenne needs a win more than Strickland, but it's going to be a great fight. I- I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I agree. Both guys back against the wall in terms of gotta have a win. And Strickland was, he was on one before that Pierre knockout. He was six in a row, rolling, had all the momentum in his favor. I remember he was getting talked about a lot. I mean, this is a guy that found his way into the media. He's got an interesting persona or personality, I should say. He's kind of a hardo, if I must say so myself. But I agree with you. It's... It's alluring to know that both these guys are in a spot where they have to have a win, and it's going to be a great fight. It's an interesting matchup stylistically. In terms of Kanye, I think that the experience does play a factor because he has fought a lot more bigger names than Strickland has, but Strickland has the youth. Like I'm saying, he did have that knockout against Piera, but... He's hot in terms of six of his last seven. I think that Strickland's going to take care of business in this one. 
I'm actually going to go the other side. I okay. think Cannonier is going to win this fight. I think he wasn't necessarily that far off when they fought Adesanya. I thought Adesanya just kind of fought to win and not necessarily get a finish where Cannonier also was trying to fight to win and he wasn't aggressive enough, but I thought he did have opportunities there. I think we're going to see a big Cannonier finish in this fight. Do you think there's anything to coming down from a title fight, fighting a guy like Israel Adesanya to kind of, I don't want to word it this way, but it's the only way is, is kind of stepping down to Sean Strickland. Do you think there's any value in maybe that plays a factor here? Um, Not necessarily, especially with Canada. He's, he seems a guy that's going to, he seems like a guy that's always prepared and he never really overlooks his, his opponent. I, I'd be more afraid if it was actually the other way around. If Sean Strickland just lost and now he's fighting Canyon A, because I feel like I feel like Strickland's someone with like a huge ego and he thinks he's better than everyone else and he might overlook someone like Canyon A, but he's not going to be doing that this fight because he absolutely needs a win. But in terms of like you just asked Canyon A, I don't think it necessarily has too much of a factor because one, he didn't get finished against Adesanya. And two, he didn't really look all that bad. I mean, it looked, it looked like he's still one of the top guys in the division. So he's still fighting for possibly another title shot here. So he he's going to have to come in absolutely hyped up, not overlook his perfor- uh, opponent. And I don't think it'll necessarily have too much of a factor. How about you? Kenny, I'm looking at the record right now. I don't want to you know ignore what you said, but it's like – he seems to me like a guy that is able to win against everyone besides the top tier names. I mean, you look at his losses. Well, Ponzinibbio, I wouldn't necessarily consider as top tier, but he's he's a, a, a guy we know. He's he, he's had real experience in the MMA. Kamaru Usman, he lost to, and he lost to Alex Piera. And he beat Hermans and he beat Uriah Hall. He beat Brendan Allen. So he's got some guys that are a little middle tier that he was able to beat, but he's yet to get that big name win. Kananye isn't necessarily that big name, which kind of makes me now say maybe he's that middle to upper tier guy that Strickland is able to handle. I'm interested to see how Strickland approaches this because he's a guy that's going to get the knockout if he wins by uh, finish. That is really what's in his arsenal is he can give you the big shot. Now, Cannon Ye, he can go down with the best of them too. I mean, he's got a little bit of a ground game there. We saw that against Brunson. Does that end up being the downfall for Sean Strickland is my question is, is he able to compete enough on the ground where he can get this back to the feet and back to what I would consider to be his strength as much as he needs to in order to eventually get a decision or get a uh, a, a um, finish via knockout. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fight of strength versus like technicality. I think Jared Cronor is the stronger fighter; he's got the better ground game. But Sean Strickland's the more technical fighter, and he's the better stand up fighter. So it's gonna be an exciting one. I'm I'm actually excited for this one. I agree. I agree. I'm just upset that Patty the Batty has all of a sudden become a villain. I thought he was he was on his way to taking over the sport. And maybe he still is because you're going to eventually have to become polarizing at some point. Yeah, it's definitely a tough truth to take in. But, you know, he can turn this around. He can uh, 
He can become the hero again eventually. Yeah, I mean, it's LeBron to Miami, back to Cleveland. It, yeah. We've seen it before. We, we've seen guys be able to turn it before. But that's really maybe all I he, Maybe he can pay Ariel to go on his show. Hey, now there's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really all I got. I appreciate the time and see you later. Yeah, see you, brother.